You're listening to WP Radio. I'm your host, Terry Doherty, and this is an OIAA podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be having a guest speaker from the TIAA, David Black, and he spoke about workplace challenges, violence, harassment, sexual harassment, bullying in the workplace, as well as the Me Too movement. So please enjoy this episode. I've been told I'm supposed to use this microphone, even though it actually doesn't broadcast my voice. It's for the blog for the chapter, so it's kind of like a TED Talk, I guess. Anyway, I always enjoy speaking about workplace investigations. It's something I'm very passionate about. Um, So I will uh, do my best to entertain you for 20 or so minutes. So I want to show of hands. How many of you work in a workplace with six or more regular employees in the office? To most of you. How many of you, by show of hands, have the workplace harassment, workplace violence policies posted in your workplace? About half of those people. So if you have less than six employees in a workplace, it doesn't need to be posted. If you have more than six, it should be posted. So um, I've been doing workplace investigations for about 25 years. In 2010, it became mandated through the Occupational Health and Safety Act that investigations had to be done. Um, Bill 32 um, mandates that sexual harassment investigations have to be done by a third-party investigator, which was a great day in my world, because now you had to use me whether you wanted to or not. Um, This year, as a matter of fact, I've been fortunate. I've actually worked in Newfoundland and British Columbia this year on workplace violence issues. So it's been kind of a fun year with lots of traveling. Um, But what I want to talk to you about today is we all know about the Me Too movement, but what you don't see that I see every day is complaints that are filed where now all of a sudden you might be the respondent. You might have been accused of something, whether or not you did it, right? My job is to conduct an investigation by interviewing first the complainant, then the person who's accused, which is known as the respondent. I interview any witnesses that the complainant identifies. I interview any witnesses that the respondent identifies. Most of these cases are a he said, she said. So it's my job to determine what the facts are. And the most common the most common phrase that I have to use in a report is based on the balance of probabilities. I have to be able to go back to my client and say, based on the balance of probabilities, I believe that A happened or B didn't happen, or it was a um, vexatious claim or an unfounded claim. So a typical investigation for me can be 50, 60, 70 pages of report writing. Yeah, it's, it's a grueling process. I figure for every 10 hours that I spend doing interviews, I've got about 35 pages of report to write. So, but it's fun, it's challenging. I get to use all my investigative skills because I have to look at somebody and determine whether they're telling the truth or not. Many of you recall Desmond here speaking, uh, what, about a year ago now, Desmond? Yep. About investigative interviewing and determining who's telling the truth and who's lying. That's my world too. I really enjoy that. Um, I'll tell you, 
my own preferences. I don't tape record my interviews. Many people do. I prefer my notes. I take very detailed notes. I'm a storyteller. Any of you that know me know I'm a storyteller. I don't want to turn a, a workplace investigation over to somebody like Steve Baldwin that's got three hours of me storytelling because I have to record that. If I write notes, I don't need. I can edit that. But uh, where I find it gets stressful, every man knows you're one hug away from having a complaint filed, right? But 50% of the investigations I do are a complaint against a female for bullying, for harassment. Um, it's just really common that somebody files a complaint. So the definition of workplace harassment is, I have this pretty much memorized, to engage in a course of vexatious comment or conduct that is known or ought reasonably to be known to be unwelcome. So people file complaint, complaints because somebody says, you look really nice in blue. I like when you wear a blue dress. Is that a harassment complaint? How many of you think that's a harassment complaint? What if I said, you look really nice in that blue dress with that short skirt? Getting iffy now, right? Yeah. The act says that it has to be a course of vexatious comment or conduct. However, one-off can do it. If the boss says to me, or says to a woman, you need to come out with me for a few drinks tonight, that one-off is probably going to be found to be sexual harassment. Okay? So, right? <laughs> Lorraine, Lorraine asked if she could demonstrate sexual harassment today. And, and I, I told her, I'll complain after the third time. Okay? So you get two freebies, Lorraine. So the other, the other thing that I get involved in a lot is workplace violence. People have no idea how much workplace violence goes on in Canadian business today. I've dealt with guns, knives, threats. Um, threats are common, fist fights. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about one of the early ones I did. We're going back to the based on the balance of probabilities. I get a call from a, a workplace. There are two maintenance people in a lunchroom. There is nobody else in the lunchroom. And the receptionist takes delivery of a parcel. She goes into the lunch table and she puts it down on the table. And she's, both guys are named John, by the way. John, here's that bathroom fan motor you ordered. Both guys simultaneously reach for it, both being named John, both being in the maintenance department. They get into an argument. John number one says, that's the bathroom fan motor I ordered for this building. The other John says, no, it's for the office. It gets heated. John number one picks up the bathroom fan motor and throws it at the other John's head. John immediately leaves the room, goes into the director's office, said, John A just threw a fan motor at me. I get, I get to investigate it. So I meet with the complainant. What happened? He says, 
receptionist put it in there. We both grabbed for it. He got mad. He said, fine, you can have the effing thing, and picked it up and threw it at my head. Critical question for me is to say to the complainant, what would you hope the outcome of this investigation would be? I don't want him fired. I don't want him in trouble. I just want him to know he can't throw shit at my head anymore. <laughs> Pretty reasonable. I sit down with John B. John, tell me what happened. Same beginning. She put it in. We both grabbed for it. He got mad. I put it on the floor, and I used my foot, and I slid it over to him, and I said, you can have it. How many believe that he threw it? I believe he threw it because John A. didn't really want anything done. He didn't want him fired. He just wanted him to get the message, right? So I have to now put in a report that based on the balance of probabilities, it was actually thrown at him, right? I have no qualms backing that up because John A. has no reason to lie. It's not like I want the guy fired. My world will be better if he doesn't work here anymore. He's a good guy. I just wanted to get the message. So. I was pretty lucky that I had that early on one. Um, I'll tell you a story about a really, I have to sit and perch myself here. I have uh, bad knees, so. Um, one of the most disturbing ones I worked for, worked on, was a young girl who worked for a municipality somewhere in Ontario, but not local, who'd been on the job for about four months. She worked directly for the CAO of this municipality. Her husband ran off with her best friend. So pretty traumatizing. She had two young kids. And the CAO called her into the office one day and said, how are you doing? And she said, it's pretty rough. He said, well, anytime you need somebody to talk to, my door's open. So she did go in one evening after work and just to have a shoulder. And that progressed to him having her conduct sexual acts in her office. When I asked her about that, she said, I'm a single mother. I need my job. And that almost brought tears to my eye. This poor girl, 23, 24, having to look after a CAO who was 66 years old. Um, when I interviewed him, after, well, I interviewed her found her to be very credible. When I interviewed him, introduced myself, he knows why I'm there. I said, I want to hear your version. He said, Dave, you've seen her. She's pretty hot. If she came into your office and offered you sex, what would you do? That wasn't rocket science to figure out who was telling the truth there, right? That cost the municipality a lot of money because she sued, but uh, the good thing is he's not working there anymore. So, um, I want to tell you a bit more about workplace violence. A common, a common request in my industry is for a human resources department person or a manager to ask for surveillance on somebody who was just fired. That is really common. Um, we just fired this guy, he's a hothead, we want surveillance on him for the next two or three weeks, 24 hours a day. Personally, I'm really against that. I'll protect your workplace, but to follow him around is just asking to get 
spotted and escalate things. So the other thing is we get asked all the time, well, the HR manager is afraid, the plant manager is afraid. There has never, ever been a documented case of workplace violence other than at a workplace. They don't shoot you in your driveway. They don't beat you up in your driveway. People that get to that extreme want to make a statement that gets front page in the media. So they will attack at work, never at home. When I tell people that, they usually say, well, there's always a first time, and my wife's terrified. Yes, that's true, but in my whole career, it has never happened. The other really disturbing fact about workplace violence, the average US postal worker that has gone in and shot people, two to seven years post-termination. So that's a really hard thing to protect against. You fire somebody and they go and stew. My advice to clients is always, there's always somebody you know or some social media outlet that you can check and see, has he moved on, is he in a new career or is he, is he struggling financially? If you fire somebody that's making 100 grand a year and they get a new job where they're making 120, they've forgotten about you. But if you lose a $100,000 a year job and you're collecting welfare or minimum wage, that anger still festers. So always keep that in mind that, you know, if you're dealing with a long-term employee that's been fired, he might not be gone. I worked on one in Port Hope, lasted nine years. Nine years, there wasn't a month went by, there weren't threats. The guy was charged repeatedly for uttering threats, breach of bail conditions. He did time numerous times. Every time he got out of jail, first thing he'd do was write a letter to the local newspaper. They weren't always published, but the police were, and the client were provided with the letters that he wrote. He finally died of cancer. But other than that, I think that would still be going on. So, um, any questions so far? So when, when you're called in, because there's an ongoing workplace investigation, you're going to be told right away that you're the respondent. You're going to know if you're the complainant or you're a witness. It is critical that you tell the truth completely. If you're a witness, you need to be objective. You also need to know that you cannot talk about that. The investigator will tell you that this is a confidential process. You need to keep that res respect for that confidentiality because it could be you one day that's been accused of bullying or sexual harassment or something. Um, I can't stress enough that you need to plan on spending a lot of time with the investigator. It's not a 15-minute process. You're going to be in there for a long time. If it's a good investigator, they're going to ask you everything from the day you were born until today. Because not only are they finding out all the facts, they're assessing your credibility. They're watching your body language. You're watching. Okay, um, there is an exception under the minister. The it's not uncommon for me when I make when I make my findings as to whether or not harassment occurred, is that the findings are going to be worded something like, "This was not bullying. This was normal managerial practices." Okay, so if you're trying to get somebody to do their job that they're getting paid for, that's perfectly acceptable to get on them and, you know, tell them they got to do their job, right? It's how you do it and how you word it. 
you can't insult them, right? Um, you probably shouldn't raise your voice. We're human. People get frustrated, but. Uh... Yeah, I know, you're the quiet one. You and Lorraine are the quietest two in the room, I know. But, uh... I'm just wondering if it has more to do with what happens in your office than anything. When it happens, what, sorry? I've seen from A to Z, they're all different. Um, it's not always a manager-employee relationship. Often it's two employees. Um, for some reason, it seems to be really prevalent in hospitals and nursing homes where there's PSWs. Um, but I've seen it, I've seen it in banks, um, schools. I've worked every kind of blue-collar institution and, and white-collar place you can dream of. If it's at the workplace, the Occupational Health and Safety Act kicks in, okay? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, one thing you got to understand, the Occupational Health and Safety Act defines a workplace as a place where you work. That can be in your vehicle. It can be off-site. As adjusters, you have to go to um, somebody's home. You can be bullied at a claimant's home or an insurance property. That still requires your employer to take action. Okay. Yep. If you're working, if you're working, wherever you are is your workplace, okay? No. Uh, a workplace is defined as, it can be, it can be the Christmas party, okay? It can be the Christmas party because you're there because of work, okay? But if you're neighbors with a coworker, and you're having a, a, a rough time in your driveway, that's not workplace harassment, okay? So, um, yeah. Sorry. In a workplace, in a workplace, you have to participate. You have no choice. You're on the clock at work. I show up on the clock. You have to talk to me. If if you refuse to talk to me, then I'm going to explain to you that I'm going to have to base my findings on your lack of participation and your lack of cooperation to address this. Right? Um, I will tell you. Probably less than 5% of my investigations involve the police. The employers don't want it. The complainants and the respondents don't want the police. Um, even, even with theft and fraud cases, I rarely deal with the police. Um, but 
sexual assault, definitely different. Sexual harassment is not sexual assault. So sexual harassment never goes to the police. Yep. No, there's, like every legislation, there's little gray areas. Students are not employees, okay? A student doing a high school placement at your office is under Bill, one th or Bill 32. But a student in a school is not. But common sense would say you call the police in my world, okay? Um, when, when you're named as a respondent, you... Best I can tell you, you've got to trust the process. Um, investigators like me, like Desmond and other people, we know what we're doing. We've been doing it for a long time. We know when we're being uh, fed a line. So your opportunity to tell me your side of the story, take advantage of that. Name the witnesses that you think should be interviewed. There's no time limit. If, if you say five years ago, she did this, this, and this, and that has a bearing on this complaint, then I want to know that, okay? Um, I, I, I see people all the time that are named as a, as a respondent who are just dumbfounded. She and I have worked together for years, you know? I give her a hug on her birthday, and all of a sudden now it's inappropriate. Was it inappropriate, or did your hand slide down a little too far this time? Those are things that I have to look at. Um, I'm trying to think of another story for you. Um, I can't even begin to remember all of the all of the cases that I've worked on, but the workplace violence ones are, to me, the most challenging because people get mad when they get fired or in the workplace. People make threats. Um, a lot of times when I get asked to arrange surveillance on somebody, my preference is to go knock on the guy's door and say, you know, John, you got fired a couple of days ago and your coworkers are concerned. They're concerned about you, they're concerned about themselves. The good guy says, please tell him I'm sorry, I had a bad day, I just lost my job and I just flew off. Those ones you can pretty much close the file. Um, the ones that scare me is when I go knock on the door and they and I say, you know, your coworkers are concerned. That guy says they should be. Now the red flags are out. Yeah. Um, any other questions so far? You mentioned earlier that the, uh, the respondent or the complainant. Yeah. They don't. They don't call them. They identify them to the investigator. Good question, because I get asked that all the time. I do my utmost to keep everything confidential. When I do my great big long report, 
I also do what's called an executive summary. The executive summary doesn't specify who the witnesses are. It will say, over the course of my investigation, I interviewed 18 people, 17 of whom confirmed the complainant's version of events, right? Um, based on the balance of probabilities, this is what I believe, right? Um, if it went to court, they're going to come out, okay? I can't say that 100 uh, percent. Sometimes, sometimes the respondent is going to know that the guy in the paint shop is the only one that saw me punch him or something, right? Um, there is all kinds of protection under the Occupational Health and Safety Act to protect a witness from reprisals. Okay, so if somebody's doing their best to keep their job, the last thing they want to do is go punch out the guy in the paint shop, right? But it could happen, it is a concern, right? Um, usually, as soon as a complaint's filed, the parties are separated. Might be somebody's on paid leave, or it might be you just work in another part of the building. Um, but uh, I've seen both sides get sent home. At the same time, I've seen the complainant get sent home because the respondent's in a more critical role. Um, Either way, um, there's no hard and fast rule there. Um, it should, they should be separated right away. Um, sometimes I've actually seen them uh, um, continue to work together if the complainant says it's not, you know, it's not a life or death situation. But as, as a witness, do you, uh, does that person have the right to, uh, to refuse? To refuse? No, no, not in a workplace. You're, you can try that, yeah, yeah. Um, a good investigator is going to get you to open up. I, Desmond, how many times has somebody flat out refused you? Ever? Many, many times. Yeah? Many times, but then, like then say, yeah. you Yeah, you get around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, I've never had to put in a report where a witness didn't talk to me. Uh, I'm... I'll take as long as it takes, but I will get them to give me a version. Okay. okay, good question. If you're in an organized workplace where there's a union, no, you're not entitled to a lawyer. Um, in a workplace that's unionized, you have representation from the union. If it's non-unionized, I, it's a judgment call. I don't usually have an objection to have some, having somebody have a lawyer there as long as the lawyer understands that they do have to participate and answer questions. Um, it's not uncommon for me to be asked if a spouse can be present. Um, I will get the spouse to sign the confidentiality statement that they're not allowed to talk about it. I personally have no objection to a spouse being in the room. Because if that's what makes the person comfortable, especially a complainant, if a complainant's embarrassed to talk about being molested or something, bring your spouse in.
What happened? Uh, they were looking for work across the river. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Is it normal or acceptable, I guess, is more of a question, that you once the complaint, you filed the complaint, that the HRMAN or the company uh, says, well, you know, we talked to this person. Probably that oh, yeah, yeah, that's. I work with a lot of HR people. A lot of them are a little too touchy-feely, you know, kumbaya. Um, they think they think they can resolve it by, you know, we'll just go and tell them to stop. In a lot of company policies, that's part of the policy. But it also has that exemption for you don't have to go back and get punched in the head a second time, right? You don't have to get grabbed between your legs to know that, that's an inappropriate behavior and asking him to stop isn't going to change anything. Whether he, you know, whether he ever does it or not, you were victimized. So I, yeah, I have issues with that. But company policies will often say uh, the person should approach the or the respondent. They should ask for mediation. Um, by the time I get involved, it's gone beyond that. And again, a course of vexatious comment or conduct, if you get grabbed between the legs once, that's it. And that's why workplace programs are so important now, and that's yeah. something that Dave does, he goes in with the policies, because for the HR managers to say, well, go speak to them and tell them it's inappropriate, they should know that, and that's why a lot of us now, when, when we hire new employees, they have to go online and they have to do these courses of what's inappropriate behavior. Believe it or not, that's where we come to now. So um, your, 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 your company policies and procedures should have that in place to already, so it's not my responsibility um, to go and tell someone that's inappropriate. If I'm working for you, it's the employer's responsibility to make sure that you're working in a safe environment. Yeah. Not mine. I come work for you, you protect me. So for you to tell me, well, go speak to Jane and tell her to stop touching her, that's not my responsibility and Jane should know better because the company should have provided that beforehand. So that's where we are now, I think, Blake. Yeah. Maybe 20 years ago it was different. Having said all that, I don't want anybody here to think you can't give a coworker a hug, okay? But as a man, I did it with Lorraine today. I saw Lorraine walk in. I know I'm going to hug her, but I go like this. If she goes like that, then we're going to hug, right? But if I go like that and she turns away, then that's not a welcome hug, right? <laughs> At least I think that's the way I would interpret it, right? Yeah, well, that, that part I can't help. It's, it's in my nature to follow you around, Lorraine. But, you know, it, we're not to the point where you can't give a coworker a hug, okay? <laughs> you missed that. There was a hug exchange there. And, and it's not to say you can't give a compliment to a coworker, okay? Somebody gets a new hairstyle, most people want to hear, oh, you look great like that, right? So I don't, I, no investigation that I do is ever going to find at fault because you complimented somebody once about a new look, a new look, okay? So common sense tells you every day is a little too much. The length of your skirt is never appropriate, right? The tightness of your sweater is never appropriate, okay? <laughs> Well, no, it's never appropriate, okay? Um, 
saying to somebody, if you do that again, I'm going to punch you in the head, is never appropriate. Okay? Shaking your fist at somebody in the workplace, unless you've got a long-term relationship where it's back and forth, but to get mad at your boss or an underling and, and do that, you're likely going to get fired. Okay? Now, here's a case that i got to tell you about. Guy who's a bodybuilder, has arms like this, was a doorman for years in a pub, now works in a white-collar environment where he loves to tell stories about fights he was in. And he loves to say, I can't do it with the microphone, but um, yeah, that guy got on my nerves and I just, I just punched him out. And then he gets red in the face and he says this to coworkers. He's done this for a year. When I got involved, 35 people in this workplace, when they met with me, were in tears. They, the, their, their boss was there, HR was there, there was a labor and employment lawyer there, and they're in tears. How are we going to deal with this? So he was suspended pending an investigation. The investigator wasn't me, another person, found that all of these intimidating behaviors were found to be true. It was clear that this guy can't go back in the workplace. I had a second guy with me who was a retired cop. He was there for the brawn, certainly not the brains, because he said at a meeting one day, well, no matter what happens, this guy's getting fired. And I said to him afterwards, that is absolutely not the case. He's in a union. They're going to file a grievance. There's going to be an arbitration. If you're accused theft, fraud, assault, sexual harassment, the number one thing that an arbitrator or a judge is looking for is remorse. And that's what this guy did. He threw himself on his sword. And, oh, my God, I never made, meant to make my coworkers feel threatened. I never meant them to feel intimidated. I'm so sorry. I'm getting psychotherapy. You know, my wife's helping me. That guy's not getting fired. He got transferred because management realizes that when he gets up in front of an arbitrator and apologizes sincerely, they're going to keep his job. And that's what happened just last Thursday. This guy got transferred to another site, but he's not getting fired. He's on what's called a last chance agreement. One more time, you're out of here. But until then... Anyway, I've probably talked too much. Any questions? No, everybody's good. You all know how to harass people now? Good. All right. Thank you. On behalf of the Thousand Islands. All right, guys, thanks again for listening to this episode. It was a little bit of a bonus uh, episode from the TIAA. Again, um, if you haven't had an opportunity to sign up for the KO conference, please do. Uh, we're going to have a guest speaker on from the conference coming up a little bit later this month. So uh, look for that, and we'll see you uh, at the next episode. Thanks.